Good morning. It's great to be with y'all. My name is Chad. My name is Leslie. And we are so glad to be back with folks at Journey Church. You know, last year at this time we spoke and my back was out and my Achilles were down. And actually four guys from this church showed up at like five in the morning to help us move out of our house and onto the airplanes. And we made it to Thailand safely. So I thank you all so much. Whoever the guys are, you may still be here. I'm not sure where you are. But if you showed up last year at 4, 5.30 in the morning to help us get on the plane, and we really appreciate Journey Church for that specific thing. Yes. It is so nice to be with you. We have been in the States for about seven weeks now. We have two more weeks to go. We live in Chiang Mai, Thailand. And we are there as the co-directors of an organization called 1040 Connections that many of you already know about. It's a group where we have a desire that every person in the world has a chance to hear, experience, and then multiply the message of Jesus in their own local context. Our kids have traveled multiple times in different Asian nations, but this is their first time to really live in a nation, go to school in a nation. And about a week before we left Thailand, our son looked over at me. We we were at our favorite coconut restaurant. We call it the coconut restaurant. We can't pronounce it in Thai yet. Yeah. And it has wonderful coconut smoothies. If you ever come and visit you, we, yes, yes, we will take you're doing the what yet. And, um, Eden looked at me and he said, with all seriousness, he said, Mom, are we Asians yet? (laughs) So after living for a year in Thailand, he was wondering. So what our kids are, they're called third culture kids. It means they are United States citizens. They're Americans. But they are beginning to have parts of India and China and Thailand all part of their lives. And so they're called swirly kids. There's a book out that's called about being a swirly kid. And it's where different areas of the world begin to make their colors on you, their marks on you. And at the end of the book, it says that the one person who can identify with swirly kids is Jesus Christ. He was a missionary kid. He came to the earth. He was sent to he- to, from heaven to earth. And he allowed the Middle Eastern culture to mark him as a Middle Eastern guy. But not only that, that he has the swirls on him of the Americans and the Koreans and the Singaporeans and the Saudi Arabian Arab Christians and the Moroccans and the Kazakhstan people and the Wei people and the Zhuang people of China. Every time someone comes to Jesus, he takes the swirls, the colors of the world on himself. And so we are excited that we know a God who is able to take in all of the nations and say that he wants to be marked with all of the nations. Because you know what? 2,000 years ago, he was marked on the hands and feet and said, I want them all. He has marks of saying, I want the nations to be a part of my kingdom, a part of my family. This morning, as we get started, we're going to ask Jolie Seagraves, our daughter, to come down. Where is she? Is she down here? Yes. And I can't really see out there. And she is going to show you how she's become a bit swirly this year. And she is going to sing for you the Thai National Anthem. This is because in her school, it's the law that you must, even if it's American curriculum school, you must sing the anthem. So she is going to sing for you what she sings every morning at school. Eden does as well, but there are some really high notes in this. And so he's like, I'd rather not. So she's up here today and she's going to sing for you. Wait, wait, not yet. You're going to have a microphone. They won't hear you. <laughs> okay, testing one, two, three. Okay, I'll hold it for you. 
you might have... You might have heard another voice in the back. That would be my four-year-old daughter, and she was singing right along with it, with, with they Jolie. They sing in her so. preschool, too. <laughs> so 1040 Connections, we work in the area of the world where there is the least access to the gospel of Jesus. And so that is what we want to talk to you about. We're going to have a, a passage of scripture, and we're going to also merge that with some stories that will hopefully encourage you. So if you've heard of the 1040 window, how many of you have heard of the 1040 window? Excellent. If you have not, however, it's latitude lines, 10 degrees to 40 degrees right there across North Africa, Middle East, India, China has half the world's population and about 95% of the world's unreached people groups. Meaning if we want Jesus to return, we need to reach the people groups in this area because Matthew 24, 14 says the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached as a testimony to all nations, to all ethne, and then the end will come. So we want to reach all the people groups, all the nations for Jesus. Now, in the process of this area, we, we, uh, we see that they have limited access, limited freedom, and limited opportunity. So this is different than unchurched. Okay, we have unchurched in America, but they have access. They could come to church. There's nobody going to throw them in prison for showing up at the service today. They could, they could find a Bible. They could turn on a radio and, or a TV and, and see a, a broadcast and learn about Jesus. Access, freedom, and opportunity are, are, area, are ways that define the 1040 window. So it's not just latitude lines, but it's access. So Indonesia and Mongolia and other places or Nigeria are included in the least reached area of the world. And we work in these areas as we hope to help them hear, experience, and multiply Jesus in their context. We want to see how, how their church, how the church in Saudi Arabia can have an inheritance among the nations. You know that? It's not just the Western job to reach the nations. This is the body of Christ around the world, and everyone can claim Psalm 2.8, which says, Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. So the Chinese Christians have a desire to join in the Great Commission. The Malawian Christians have a desire to go up to Europe and evangelize North Africa with the Great Commission. Indians and, and Kyrgyz and Russians and German Christians all have a, des- a desire to join what God is already doing because, again... Their inheritance is part of, we say it's ethne to ethne, all nations to all nations is what we're looking at. So if you look at this map, we want to show you where most of the Christians in the world live. So next slide you'll see. You'll see where you see the blue dots. Every dot represents 50,000 Christians. So you can see from looking at this where the majority of Christians are living. It doesn't doesn't mean believers in their heart. It could be state religions or or. Catholic, Orthodox, Evangelical, all the different mixes together. But for the most part, they've, they've heard of Jesus. Now, this is the area of the world where they're, that re- represents the non-Christians of the world. So, you see that difference? So, the Christians are living here, and the non-Christians are mostly living here. So, is there really a question of why 95% of the world's unreached people live in that window? It's just very easy math. It's very easy strategy. It's very easy to look at that and say, there's a problem. We need to get some blue dots. And that's what Journey is doing. You are seeking to bring some of the blue dots into the red areas. You are doing some amazing work in a very restricted nation of South Asia. Because it's recorded, we won't say the nation. We'll tell a couple of stories a little bit later. As an example of what we mean by unreached, there was a lady that was on a track in China. We were running around there with a few years back. And we went up to her and started speaking. And Leslie said, have you heard of Jesus? And she said, I have heard of Jesus. 
Last week, a guy mentioned his name to me. That was the first time I heard his name. And the man said to me, you are very special, young lady, because many people in China have never heard your, the name of God before, but you heard the name of Jesus. And the lady said, now I've heard his name twice in the last two weeks. And we said, well, goodness, Jesus must really want to say something to you because you heard his name twice. In two weeks. Wow. There was a, there's a lady at the coconut restaurant. We tried to frequent the same places so that we could build relationships. And at Christmas time, we gave her a candy cane that had the meaning of the candy cane on it. And she took it and she said, oh, this is so special. And she read it. And then she came back just after we ate. And she said, this could change a person's life. And she said, I always knew there was a holiday called Christmas. But I thought it was a part of Happy New Year. She said, I thought it was the same. It was just another word. And so we said, no, Christmas is the biggest birthday party in the world. And there's people all over the world that celebrate this birthday of Jesus. And she said, well, this, this story is beautiful. I will save this story forever. There was a Nepali woman. She was rescued from trafficking And when she was in our recovery home, she was told about Jesus. And she said, I like what you're saying about this most high God named Jesus. But if he's truly the one true God, then how come my village has never heard of him before? I'm the first in the village that's heard that name. That's the area of the world where 1040 Connections is seeking to work. It's a privilege. It's a privilege to be able to share with people the first time they hear the gospel. You might have had that privilege to say, have you heard of Jesus? And they'll go, no, never heard of him. And you get to have that privilege of sharing the first time with someone. It's a great privilege. But also, it makes us very sad, too, because after 2,000 years, it's still not completed. The task is still not done. And yet, though the task is not done, God is continuing to do beautiful things. And the book of Acts is literally being written in these very difficult areas of the world. And we're going to share some of those stories. But first, we want to look at a passage of scripture. In Zephaniah 3, 9, you'll see it on the big, this is a huge screen. I like that. I feel like I'm not covering it up, or I hope I'm not. Or, I mean, I'm really, really, really big. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I'm really wide. So, then I will purify the lips of the people's that all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve him shoulder to shoulder. I've read that verse some in my life, but about a year ago I read it and it staggered me with God's strategy in one verse. And I want to point out to you one word that says a lot to me. And then we'll, we'll, we'll unpack the verse a little bit more. It says, of the people's. Did you know that whenever you read the word peoples, nations, tribes, anytime you read a word like that, it's referring to lots of different people groups. It's not referring to just the Israelite people. It's in plural intentionally to show that it's the the purified lips of the peoples. It's where, and this was what amazed me when I was in sixth grade, this was before you heard a lot being discipled, like that someone would disciple you. And I so wanted to figure out how to live for Jesus. I just, there was something about Jesus that just drew me to himself. And so my grandmother gave me this little pamphlet and it was how to read the Bible in a year. 
So in sixth grade, I decided that that's what I was going to do. I was going to read the Bible through in a year. So it didn't make a lot of sense to me. I mean, you know, you get into Leviticus and you're in sixth grade and you're like, wow, life changing. (laughs) But I, you know, I mean, but it was, there was something about it that God, no matter if you don't understand a lot of what you read, read it because there is seed for life in this book. It is not irrelevant. It is relevant today just as much as it was when it was first penned. This is the book that should be influencing us, not our culture, not Thailand culture. It should be the kingdom of God that's wrapped up in these pages. But as I started reading, there was something that God did as I read. And what I began to notice is that I began to notice lots that God would say nations, peoples, tribes. And I just began to notice in book after book of the Bible, there was always this phrase. And I began to realize that God had painted a picture of his heart, that he wanted all of us, that just me in his kingdom was not enough. He wants everybody. And I remember on October 12th, 1986, don't do the math. I was 12 years old. I'm 44 now. Don't waste your time on math this morning. And I I can't believe I'm 44 years old, but I was 12 and I walked down the aisle and I looked at my pastor and I said, I've just been reading the Bible and I want to be a part of God's heart for the nations. I want to be a missionary. And he said, this dear lady wants to be a foreign missionary. And I thought foreign missionary. I don't really even know what that is. And he said, she's been praying for a long time about this. I hadn't prayed once. (laughs) And I was like, oh no, I hadn't prayed about it. I had just seen something about Jesus and crossed the line and said, I want to be a part of what God thinks is so important to me in my sixth grade mind. I thought if I want my life to count, it's not about God blessing the life I want to live. It's about stepping over into the life he once lived on earth. And as I step into that, I step into abundant living. And that is what has God has showed me. And when I looked at this verse, purify the lips of the peoples, I think of the lips around the world. That as y'all led in worship today, Jesus wants every tribe and nation and tongue and people to have purified lips, purified lips, so that together as one peoples, the peoples unified and one can worship Jesus Christ. Because that's what he says in the Bible in Revelation. Salvation belongs to our God. Now the question Leslie was looking at there when she was in sixth grade is a very nice question because she wasn't asking, what is God's will for my life? That's the question I was asking in college. Many college students or high school students ask, what is God's will for my life? Instead, she was asking, we should all ask, what is God's will? And how do I line my life up to that? It's a very different focus, right? The question, the distinction between what is God's will for my life and what is God's will and how do I line up my life to that? And that applies to whatever age we are, whatever profession we have, whatever background we come from. Now, as we look at the passage further, we'll see that God says, I will, I will purify the lips. Now, can you think of another Old Testament passage where lips are purified? Can you think of one? Interactive with the audience. Has something to do with a burning coal. I heard Isaiah. Yeah. Chapter. Anybody know the chapter? 
Isaiah 6, right. The Isaiah the prophet is sad because Uzziah had died, the king had died. He was standing there and he, and he heard the cherubim, seraphim saying, holy, holy, holy. And then Isaiah said, woe is me for I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. And so the, the angels go and take the, the hot coal and they come and touch his lips. You can imagine how terrifying and, and painful that would be. I'll pause just for a moment. Maybe some of us need to have purified lips or some other body part. You know what you've done to sin this week or last night or the past month. You need some, some purification to happen in your own heart, in your own eyes, ears, nose, mouth, whatever you have. It needs to be purified because God says he wants us to be pure. He wants us to be purified. That's the point right there. Now, what happens when we're purified? Then Isaiah heard God speaking. When his lips were purified, his ears were opened. And he heard God saying, whom shall I send? Who will go? Whom shall I send? Who will go? Whom shall I send? Who will go? I think, I think that's the statement God is asking to this day. Whom shall I send? Who will go? When we are purified, when we're in God's presence, we will hear God asking that question. And he wants to send you and he wants you to go wherever you, he wants it is. Could be in, in Chattanooga, could be Thailand, wherever, anywhere in between. God wants to send us and he wants us to go. And, and interestingly, that phrase, Who, whom shall I send, shows God's initiative. God initiates the sending. But it also has the who will go. There's a will involved there. So it's a nice mystery of God's initiative and human will merging together in that mission of God. Now, it says, I will purify the lips of the peoples, not just Isaiah, not just the Jewish people, but all the peoples, and unless your mother is Jewish, this is you. If you have a Jewish mom, then you are the, also the, the Jewish people. That's great. But this is about the nations. God wants to purify the lips of the peoples, all of us. And why? Two parts. So that all of them may call on the name of the Lord. That's salvation. We're called to Christ. I'm not called to Thailand. I'm not called to XYZ ministry. I'm called to Jesus. We are all, all of us are called to Jesus. We're to call on his name. We're not called to a place or to an issue, but to a person. That's the call. Secondly, what happens? That all of them may serve him shoulder to shoulder. We love this phrase. In, in Hebrew, it's not actually shoulder to shoulder. Some translations have of one accord. But the idea is, in Hebrew, it's the word is Shechem Ached. Ached means one, and Shechem means shoulder. That all of them may serve him with one shoulder. Now, if you played, if you played football, I almost said American football, but <laughs> we're in America. If you played American football and you had an offensive line, that's one shoulder, Okay. So if, if it says side by side, that's like the Genesis 1 and 2 passage where we're created with the same blessings, responsibilities, and commands, and I, that's your identity. We're, I, we're image bearers of God. But when it says one shoulder, that means we're all together. Leslie and me as husband and wife, yes, but also us with you as a church here in Chattanooga, but also with the church in China, the church in India, the church in Thailand. We are to serve him with one shoulder. We're to be unified focused on the goal, and moving out at the command of Jesus. So with that, I want to ask you a question. We share a shoulder with Jesus. What passage in the New Testament does Jesus talk about sharing a burden with us? Do you know? 
His burden is light from Matthew 11. Yes, he says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Now you may know that in the Jewish culture, the rabbis had a teaching and actions. And all those together combined was called the yoke of the rabbi. So the rabbi would sit down, his disciples would sit at his feet. So there's Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus as a disciple, and the other disciples sitting there. And their goal is to become like the rabbi. So the rabbi would get up, place the yoke, which is the actions and the teaching of the rabbi, on the disciples, and they would then duplicate that and then multiply that teaching out. So that's the idea. So when Jesus says, I want to share a shoulder with you, I want you to carry my burden, my burden is light, he wants to take the burden that you're personally carrying, he wants to take that off of you and place on you his teaching, his actions, which are light and easy. So when you think about Jewish, the rabbi, the teacher, and you think like Chad had just now talked about how he would sit down, the rabbis, when they would teach, they would sit, and the disciples would sit at their feet. And the idea was that eventually the rabbi would stand and the student would stand and the student would then come and sit in the seat of the rabbi. And that would happen when the rabbi believed that the disciple was covered in the teachings of the master teacher. And then the rabbi would move and would find another student and his student would teach a disciple and he would teach a disciple. Which as Chad said with Mary sitting at his feet and the Jewish culture taught that if you teach your daughter the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, you're teaching her prostitution. It's better for the Torah to be burned up than to be delivered to a woman. It's what the Jewish people were teaching. And Jesus sits there and Mary finds a place at his feet as a disciple. And Martha says, no, no, no. Tell her to come and help me. Jesus is like, no, I'm not burning up the Torah right now. I'm passing on my identity and my teachings to one of my treasured ones because she's been created in dust and I take dust and I create dust, female and male, to represent the image of God. And then we distort it through our sin. But Colossians says that we are being remade into the image of God. And so as Mary sat at his feet, he was remaking her into the image of God so that she could stand up and she could be demonstrating who God is because she became the representative of the image of God on earth. That's the way God sees you. He sees you as his representative, as the one who can push back darkness because he's sharing a shoulder with you and he's moving through the earth with our shoulders connected, being remade in the image of God so that we can make a difference. Now, when the rabbi would walk in the dusty roads of the Middle East, As the rabbi would walk, dust would come up from his feet. And if this quote will come up, yeah, let thy house be a meeting house for the wise and powder thyself in the dust of their feet and drink their words with their thirstiness. This is talking about the rabbi disciple relationship. May the dust powder the student 
And may they take the words of the rabbi with thirstiness. So as the rabbi would walk down the street, dust would come up. And then the people of Israel would say, may you be, as the disciples would walk by with the master rabbi, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. How can you get covered with a rabbi's dust? You follow closely enough. So as the rabbi is walking, you're walking as close as you can. So as Jesus is going through the earth, as Jesus is teaching us the parables that you're going through, you are getting as close as you can to Jesus. And you are trying to act as Jesus would act in every situation on earth, covered in his dust because you are not called to a place. You are called to the person of Jesus. And then wherever you are locally, globally, and all at the same time, God wants us to make an impact. You are covered and you are making a change on the earth. Today, as you go to the community kitchen, may you be covered in the dust of Jesus. You're following his teachings to feed the hungry. You're following. We want to tell you three quick stories about how there's believers in the world that are being covered in the dust of Jesus so that you will be encouraged to know that it's not the United States responsibility alone to finish the Great Commission. It's every believers in the world. Every one of us has a job to do. If you are called to salvation, you are sent to be covered. But the problem today is that 86% of the world's Buddhist Hindus and Muslims have never met a Christian. Even though we've been told to be covered in the dust, renewed in the image of our creator, to tell the story of Jesus far and wide to the ends of the earth, 86% of the world's Hindus, Muslims, and Buddhists have never, ever met a Christian. That bothers me. And it makes me ask the question, am I helping the world's peoples with no access to have a chance to hear? One of our friends in Chattanooga was at a restaurant with a Chinese waiter, led that waiter to Jesus Christ. She helped decrease that 86% because she, at a normal restaurant, I think it was a Cracker Barrel, in this state, meets a Chinese waiter and begins to talk to them as a person and has a chance later to lead him to Christ. So the first story I want to tell you is that sometimes when you're covered in the dust of Jesus, sometimes you get engaged in some pretty messy ministry work. And I think Mark and Deidre probably understand that, that you get a little dirty and sweaty. When Mark I saw him this morning, he was carrying cups in for everybody to drink out of and he had sweat. And I thought that's the look of a Christian on earth. We should be sweating. We should at least be sweating because there's a lot of people in the world that are bleeding for their faith in Jesus, right? It's really a pretty small thing, but the sweat and the drops of blood, God sees them. And he sees your tears as you engage in ministry. And he says he actually bottles them up. And our sacrifices to Jesus are a pleasing aroma. In Nepal, many of you know the story of, uh, that we created a curriculum called Voice for the Voiceless. Out of a miscarriage, we wrote a curriculum because there were three st- two stats that were staggering Chad and me at the time. 
First of all, if you take all of the world's deaths, this is including from cancer, sickness, car accidents, plane accidents, gunshots, um, stabbings, any kind of death you can think of in the world, 42% of all deaths in the world are caused by abortion. 42%. If you take World War II during a six-year period of time, 50 million people died. Every year, 50 million babies are dying through abortion. Every year, there's a global war that's taking place on every continent and in most nations. And I heard those stats, and Chad heard those stats, and we were like, where's the evangelical church? To realize that not only is it the deaths of the babies, but it's women and men who have been exploited. And if you have had an abortion in this room, I want you to know God loves you. And there's a stripe on his back that heals you of that abortion and forgives you of that abortion. But the fact is, is that though these things are happening, it's the death of the children and it's the exploitation of the woman. And so Chad and I began to say, okay, what's happening statistically in Asia Huge numbers of abortions. It's astronomical, the numbers of baby girls that are missing in China and India. For example, we were in, we had a women's church planter training, 45 women church planters. 44 of them had had abortions. They did not know. They said, it's family planning. They did not tell us the baby was living until the baby took oxygen. We, what have we done? They were repenting, tearing their hair and their saris. The men church planters came running. They said, what's the matter? Is there an attack going on? They said, no, it's repentance. They didn't know what they'd done. And they said, we will share this message everywhere we go. And yeah, yeah. So this curriculum is women's reproduction, baby development, and abortion. But we weave the gospel of hope through it. The value of women, the value of the unborn through it. There was a Muslim in the training not long ago. And she ran out during the first part of the story of creation. That wasn't and, even the hard part. It wasn't even the hard part of the curriculum. She ran out during creation. And our partner, incredible man of God, stopped And said, I'll continue in a minute, went after the one who was weeping and said, what is it? And she said, I am a Muslim. I have never in my life one time heard that I have value as a daughter. Never once. And she said, but I just heard that not only do I have value, but there's a a God named Jesus who's off. He created me in value. And it's, it's who I am because it's my created story. And she said, I was too overwhelmed and I had to just leave. And he said, oh, there is so much more good news. Will you please come back into the training? Four weeks ago, 14 Hindus came to Christ because of Voice for the Voiceless. 14 new sisters that realized that God had a plan for their lives. And it matters for eternity and for earth. In Nepal, because of the fact that there were women who were choosing to not abort their children, we realized that in the messiness of ministry, that then you must help those who are making a risk to not kill their unborn babies. And if you'll look on the next slide. Oh, right there. I keep looking for it there. I'm like, there's nothing there. This is the beginning of the construction. You can just flip through a little bit. 
And this is now the Crown of Beauty Maternity Home that 1040 Connections built. If you came to our banquet last summer, we completed the funding for this building. And now this is a home that helps women heroes who are choosing life for their unborn babies. In April, I traveled in and dedicated the home. I think there may be a slide, dedicated the home. And uh, about one month later, our first baby girl was born in the home. We just found out this last week that the Hindu mother, 17-year-old, that had been hurt by a family friend uh, and got her pregnant, that she um, received Jesus um, in the past couple of weeks. And she has chosen to adopt her baby out because of her age and because her family has no funds. And there was an infertile couple in Nepal that had been praying for years. And now she is, they are the new parents of this precious little girl. You can clap. Yeah. So it was new curriculum, new home, new salvation, new baby, and new adoption. And this young mother who's 17, she said, I am so excited because I'm going home knowing who Jesus is. And our prayer now is that she'll be covered and that she will become a church planter for her village. Sometimes following the dust of the rabbi means doing something new, doing something that is not, we're taking, it's not a political issue. We're saying, Death is there. Babies are there. Let's do something about it. Many of you may have done foster care or adoption. Awesome. Maybe you have given a baby up for adoption. Good job in keeping the baby alive. So there's so many. This is a very personal topic and allows people to see how Jesus wants to minister to their deepest hearts. On the next couple slides, you'll see the uh, seminary on wheels that this church helped start probably three years ago. Took a risk. Do you know this is going so well? Next slide, you'll see one of the t- classes that happened last past year. We have two, te- two teachers that are female, two teachers that are male. And they found out they were going to start a seminary, but the women and men couldn't read very well. So let's back up a few steps. This has become a literacy program that is also a Bible study at the same time. You know, last year we had 175 students in the classes. 11 classes, 175 students, 65 of them accepted Christ. They realized they were Christian in their name. Their name was John or Mary or something, but they didn't have Jesus in their hearts. And as they read the Bible, as they learned to read, they realized, wait a minute, I don't have a relationship with God and I'm being persecuted in my country because of my, my, because of my background. I'm not even having a relationship with Jesus. So next slide, you'll see the baptism of the, one of the people there. So it's, it's a beautiful thing to see last Christmas one young lady stood up and read the Christmas story of the wise men to her family and could not read it the year before. Another young man was so excited because he was signing a contract with the neighbor who was the majority religion. And as he was signing the contract, the, the landlord said, just sign the paper. He started reading it. He's like, that's different than what we'd agreed on. And the landlord said, just sign it. He's like, no, you changed the terms. You changed the words. I will not sign it. And that move saved his family. From becoming slaves. They were going to be enslaved for years with so much more money. If he'd signed it, the judge would have upheld the legal document. This is Journey's legacy. This is what Journey's doing. You're helping people save their families from being enslaved to, to landlords that are terrible. And helping families have dignity. There's one lady who said, I will never have the purple thumb again. No purple thumb. You know, you're going to sign your name. There's your purple thumb. 
says, I'm done with the purple thumb. I can sign my name. <laughs> so it's precious, precious people are being So this is what so we mean by messiness. We want to start a seminary. There's a need for teaching. Oh, they can't read. So you so back literacy. up literacy yeah, and then it becomes the heart language. Economic downfall. So, it's so a you're lot, a part of that. It's a lot more than buying a motorcycle. You bought motorcycles a couple years back. And I think you raised enough money to buy one motorcycle for the price we're looking at. We sent the money over and they said, you know, with this money, we could buy two Two motorcycles that are not as good, we can have twice as many people, and they won't steal the motorcycle. What do you mean? <laughs> well, if it's a nice motorcycle, somebody might steal it. So we'll get a less, a less nice motorcycle and have two of them. Like, that's a great idea. <laughs> so your, your donation at Christmas, three or four years back, bought two motorcycles, and, and that's the origin of this, of this seminary. It's going on still, and you'll be glad to know that it's moving into goat farms. This, this you'll be having a goat and buffalo Thing going on uh, this month. It's the, the goats and buffaloes are being purchased, and next month they'll be sold because next month is a big festival, and the price goes up fifty percent. So we invest the money now, feed them for a few months, and sell it for a fifty percent profit. So, and then with that profit, it's moved back into seminary. more seminaries yeah. and more literacy classes. So that's that's what it means by being covered in the dust. You're kind of flexible. You you see what God is doing, and you you make adjustments along the way. Jesus made adjustments along the way. And that's part of following in his dust. Next slide, you'll see the woman who uh, has a wonderful story of following in the dust of Jesus. Now, this lady went to the church planter training that we offer for four years. But because she was young in the family, the parents-in-law would not let her go outside the home except to the market. <clears throat> she said, I want to plant a church. But her family was not yet Christian. Her husband was not. And they were very restrictive of her. So she said, I'm going to fast until God gives me an idea. So she fasted, following in the dust of Jesus. She fasted and prayed for 54 days. 54th day, she went to the market. And as she's walking along, she saw some ladies selling detergent powder, like the white clothing powder. And as soon as she saw the detergent powder, she's like, God spoke to her and said, there's your, there's your job. She went and talked with them. They said, oh, yes, we get to travel around and sell detergent powder. So the lady went back home and said, oh, Mama, Papa, I would like to have a job. I would like to sell detergent powder, and I'll bring all the money to the house. They said, if you bring the money, you can have the job. That's all they wanted was the money. So now, guess what her job is? She goes house to house, door to door, village to village, selling detergent powder, helping, helping people have clean clothes and clean hearts. And she has planted seven house churches in the last 18 months. Amen? So just, just so you know, seven house churches means we don't count a house church until there are 10 adult baptized. So we don't count less than 10. We don't count children because there's a ton of them. And we don't count <laughs> unbaptized because you have lots of curious people attending. So 10 adult baptized. So you can do the math. At least that many have come to faith in Christ in the, in the last 18 months because this lady followed in the dust and fasted and prayed, and God gave a vision, and God's opened up the door of favorability to all the villages. Now she actually travels with, three, with two other ladies. There's a team of three of them. And the seven was actually from last December, if you look in our annual report out there. Oh, sign our, sign our mail list and get a t-shirt out there. Um, if you look at the annual report, we have seven house churches because that's the December. Since that time, they now have ten more. And at this point, there are 17 house churches that three ladies have started among multiple villages. So it's, it's continuing. It's going on. And this is, again, part of what Journey has an inheritance of. Following in the dust of fasting, God gives some creativity, doesn't he? And then life is springing up. I want to close in a story today about being covered in the dust of the rabbi means being covered 
in the dust of childlike faith, trusting God, believing in God, believing his words are true and following with urgency. This past April, we went into China, and while we were there trying to start some work among an unreached people group, we decided to visit Phoebe's foster mom and dad, who had her from day two of her life to 15 months old. So while we were walking in, I had Phoebe in my arms, and I did not want her to think we were dropping her off. Because she's four and I didn't know what her mind was thinking. And so I said, we're going to go in. We're going to see where you slept. We're going to see where they fed you. And then you were going to leave with me and with daddy and Jolie and Eden. We're going to get on a plane and go back home to Thailand. And then I told Phoebe, I said, but while we're here, Phoebe, we are hoping to share Jesus with your foster mom. Right when I said that, she looked at me and she said, I tell her mommy. I tell her mommy and she jumped out of my arms and she begins to sprint after her foster mom who is just a few steps ahead leading us to her apartment. And she takes the foster mom's pants and begins to to do this. You know how a little child just kind of does this to your pants. And so the foster mom looks down and Phoebe looks at her and with all urgency. Now you have to know there's delay in speech. Consonants are very tough for our little one because of a cleft lip palate. And we're having lots of delay. But she looks at her and with all urgency on her face, she said, yes, and the cross. Jesus and the cross. What did you say, Phoebe? Jesus and the cross. Four years old. Childlike faith, not yet a believer, but still being covered with what it means to know Jesus. And she looks at the foster mom. The foster mom does not understand. Looks at the translator. The translator does not understand. I was standing there and I said, Phoebe wants foster mom to know that there is a most high God named Jesus and he died on a cross. And the translator translated it. There were two armies that day that heard Phoebe and understood. I believe that day that demonic forces heard the powerful message of Jesus nailed down to four words, Jesus and the cross and fled. And I believe that Jesus and his armies heard the powerful gospel nailed down to four words. And Jesus said, that one has one shoulder with me. I'm here to stay today. And God opened up a door for us to share with a woman in her 60s the gospel for the very first time. And she loved it. She said, for years I've not had peace And I've wanted something to fix my heart that feels so anxious. Jesus and the cross. At the end of the conversation, we presented her with a picture of her and Phoebe from years ago and a new picture with Phoebe with the surgery completed and with a new Bible that our other two kids had prayed and said, we will bring Bibles into China in our backpacks. And our older kids, 10 and 8, are learning what it means to be covered. And they saw as these Bibles were pulled out of a bag and given to a woman in her 60s who opened the pages of a Bible for the very first time. And while the gospel was going on for two hours, Phoebe was running around playing like every four-year-old does. But then at one point, at a critical point in the conversation, Phoebe runs up to her foster mom, pulls on her leg again, and says, Thank you, foster mom. Thank you, foster mom. Two days ago in a restaurant, Phoebe looked at me and said, 
foster mom pray. So do you want to pray for your foster mom? Yes. If you want to join us in prayer, pray for foster mom, foster dad, and foster, foster dad on the left side over there. We cut him out of the picture, sorry. But foster sister and foster mom are right there in the picture. And this is our translator who's one of the few believers from this people group, which we think Phoebe is from the same minority people group. You can pray for the, the Zhuang people. You can pray for foster mom, foster And sister, turn to the foster dad. mom and dad again. This is foster mom and foster dad. We just found out one of Phoebe's foster sisters is being raised in Birmingham, Alabama. Is that God or what? I mean, God is busy, you all. And he's looking for people that say, I want to be covered. And then God lets you be a part of things that are outstanding. He allows you to be a part of things that you may say are small, but God takes these. My grandmother gave me a little read through the Bible in a year. She handed it to me as a little gift and it changed my life. You going to the community kitchen today in Jesus's name can change someone's life in that place today. The flooding that just happened over here. I mean, I'm sure we can understand that with Thailand, the cave situation, but for Mark to go in and say, if there's something we can do and for you all to be ready to be covered, to serve them in the cleanup. Good job. Not burying your head in the ground and ignoring your neighbors. It's a great chance. It's huge. This church is one of the most beautiful examples of that covered in the dust Mm -hmm. so that God can be known throughout the earth. That's what it means to follow Jesus is to be covered, but to follow Jesus, you have to first choose Jesus. And so the question today is really twofold as we turn it over to Mark. One, do you know Jesus? Have you allowed Jesus to purify you, to clean you so that you might call in the name of the Lord? Are you part of the family of God? Are you adopted yet? See, I'm adopted by God. Are you in his adopted family? And secondly, if you know Jesus, the the question I ask myself is the way I'm living, is it revealing that I'm covered by someone greater than me? His teachings, his actions, his words, his thoughts, his motives. Are you covered reflecting the image of your creator so that the world can know Jesus Christ?